ask that you would uh, um, just touch the hearts of those who are here and help them to hear from you, Lord, uh, regardless of, of how I teach or, or what clever thing I manage to say or anything, Lord. I pray that you would just just move in a way that reflects your heart. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, Jess, can, is the network off? Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it's a good thing I found my outline or we'd be really stuck. Um, so, I, uh, one of my favorite hobbies, um, actually, before I jump into that, we're, we're going to be looking for the next few weeks at, at the topic of uh, law and gospel. Um, um, this, is, this is one of those big tensions in the, in the Bible, and it's one of those things you see theologians talking about an awful lot, and I, I don't want to make this into this big, heavy, deep, difficult series. This is going to be kind of rubber hits the road, what does it have to do with you um, um, material. Like, how are we supposed to handle the law? Like, if you read the Old Testament... There's some laws, right? I mean, there's laws about what you eat. There's laws about what your clothes can be made out of, how you're supposed to trim your hair. I mean, there are laws dealing with laws, dealing with laws. And actually, if you take it a step past that, the rabbis in the ancient world sat down, and they wanted to be so sure that they weren't breaking any of these laws that they came up with additional laws to make absolutely certain you got nowhere near the other laws. So, like, like it was against the law, like one of the Ten Commandments is not to take the name of the Lord in vain. And they wanted to make so sure that you, you never did that, that you weren't allowed to speak it, and if you did, like say God's name, they would just execute you. Well, what are we supposed to do with that? You know, like, and, and so we're going to look at how the law worked in the Old Testament. Um, toward the end of the series, we're going to look at some of the more unusual laws and try and understand what they're about. But right out of the gate, we're going to look at how Christians are supposed to respond to the law. Okay. Is everybody with me? That is our series introduction. Um, right out of the gate, uh, uh, I'm gonna, we're going to look at the law and the gospel, and specifically, how good do I have to be to go to heaven? Um, I got it. Um, has anybody ever wondered this, by the way? When I, when I worked at the children's home, yeah, exactly. When I worked at the children's home, I would have kids who would come to me, and they would say, wait a minute, so now, if I continue to smoke pot every day, Will that keep me from going to heaven? If I sometimes hit my, you know, my mom or, you know, hit people, is that going to keep me from going to heaven? Can I do, I mean, it was like, like how good, like they were trying to figure out how good do I have to be? In fact, I, I, there's a cartoon I I saw where this guy was trying to get into heaven. He was told, well, you need to go and do some good things. And he goes back to earth and he talks to his wife. He says, well, what are some good things I can do to get into heaven? And she starts listing stuff off. He's like, wait, wait, wait. I'm not trying to run for Jesus here. I just want to get over the line. <laughs> What's the bare minimum? And, and we're going to look at, like, how good do I have to be? Um, and actually, kind of my, my illustration to deal with this idea, um, I, one of my favorite hobbies, and if you, if you drive around on, on, in the summer, you'll see me out on the highway occasionally. I, I have a bicycle, right? A few years back, I bought one of these road bikes with the, the kind with the loopy handles. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and um, I, one of my favorite things in life is to go out and, and just, just ride. You know, I, I, one of my favorite, one of the best weekends I've had in years, like, like I went out and I rode uh, 75 miles into Michigan. And I, I had a pack with me and, and uh, uh, tent, and I camped, and I came back the next day, and it was, it was great. Um, there, there's something about just quiet and making progress and listening to music or, or books or whatever. I, I love it. 
And, and I did this for years by myself. I would get up in the morning, I'd ride the 20 miles to work, and then at the end of the day, I'd ride 20 miles back, and I, I loved it. It was one of the great joys in life. And one of the side effects of this is I, I started getting pretty, pretty fit, right? Like I, I, could, I could push out a 20-mile ride to work in under an hour. Um, I, I got the fittest I ever was. I could maintain 22 miles an hour for forever. I mean, I could sit there. If you gave me flat stretch, I could go 22. I could sprint up to like 26, which is not bad, right? Like I thought it was great. And I, I felt pretty good about myself considering when I started, I would do 17. Um, you know, I, I reached this point and I felt pretty good about myself. And the longer I did that, I thought I was, I thought, I was, man, I'm fit, I'm fast, I do this stuff really well. And one day after several years, of, of riding, I thought, well, the bicycle shop in our town does weekly rides where they would go out like you'd see a couple hundred people out on their bicycles in groups. And, and I thought, well, I'll do this once because I've never done it before. And I, you know, this will be fun. And they had, they had a flyer and a map and everything. And, and, you know, they said, well, the first group leaves at this time and they're the fast group. They generally average 18 to 20 miles an hour. And then there's this middle group and then there's the slow group. And I looked at the 18 to 20 and I said, well, I can do that. I'll probably leave these guys behind. I felt even better about it when I saw them, and I was three decades younger than everyone in that group. I'm not saying anything about older people. <laughs> and, and I thought, man, I am going to, I'm going to have a, a ball because I'm not going to have to push too hard, and I'm going to, and I am here to tell you that that, that 18 to 20 miles an hour was a lie. <laughs> not only was it a lie, it was a, it was a big lie. Because the number was actually 25. These guys, they may have been old. <laughs> old. <laughs> but but I, I had no business. I had no business riding with you. I mean, I got going, and I, I swear to you, I, I kept up with them for about 40 minutes, which I felt good about. They didn't feel good about it because, as it turns out, like riding in a group of people is, is actually like pretty technical and you need to know how to do it. And they started griping at me about, like, hey, you're going to crash into one of us. You're, you're, you need to keep straight. You need to, like, do these things. And they, they started, like, kind of getting after me. And before I knew it, these guys who were going 25 were all in front of me because no one wanted to be behind me because, because I was dangerous, because I didn't know what I was doing. And so, like, all of this, like, pride I had. I actually, I, I, I was looking up words this week trying to describe it. The word, um, I was cocksure, which from the old English refers to like, like arrogance, almost godlike arrogance. Right? <laughs> like I was, I was so darn sure of myself and that got, that got wiped away. Anybody ever had that happen where you thought you had your stuff together and then you met somebody who really knew what they were doing <laughs> and, and then you realize that, uh, no, I'm, I'm out of my league now. And, and actually when I really got in trouble, Earlier that day, actually the day before, we had gone out for Indian food. I loved, loved Indian food. And I had had, I had, had uh, vindaloo, like tofu vindaloo, because I was a vegetarian then. Um, really spicy. And that day for lunch, I had eaten the leftovers. Now, weirdly enough, 40 minutes of me, like, keeping my heart rate up at, like, 190, 205, like, did not agree with my, with my vindaloo. And eventually, after about 40 minutes, I was out in the middle of a cornfield, and I had to pull over. And, and yeah, that's the word. <laughs> I, it, it was the end of the ride. Like, that's all there is to it. I, I was done. I was tired. I was sick. I was a mess. I was, like, it was not, 
it was not a good day because I thought I was good. I thought I was good all the way up until the point where I found a standard to measure myself by. And by that standard, I was awful. Like, I wasn't just a little off. I was really awful. That day I went home and I started researching. I, I watched the Tour de France. I actually really enjoy it. I used to when I had cable. And uh, those guys ride 30 to 35 average on the Tour. These are up mountains. And then on a good day, they go 50. <laughs> like, so if you look at the real standard, not the, like, senior citizens I couldn't keep up with, <laughs> I, I'm really out of my league. Um, I start with this because we're going to be talking about the law today, right? And, and to understand the law, um, there's two perspectives on this. There's the perspective that most folks naturally have of how they're doing, and then there's the reality, okay? Um, we're going to look at Romans, um, and I'm going to do something I, I don't like doing. I'm going to preach the sermon slightly backward, and you're going to catch it if you're paying attention to the verses. I don't normally do this. It's cheating. I really needed my notes, and I couldn't find them, and I was panicked because I'm going to do this the wrong way. So um, 5, 12 to 14, this is just, you know, like as an early point here. Uh, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all men sin. All right. Now, sin entered the world through Adam, right? So you have this one man who sins. And sin spreads to everyone. Now, here's the trick. God's law didn't show up until Moses comes along, and that is quite a while later, right? It's not as though they had a list of things to disobey. They were sinning, but they didn't have rules to disobey. Um, The concept here is that sin is not just violation of the law. Everybody with me? Like, we think of it in terms of that, like, how many laws can I not break? Sin is enmity between us and God. It's like a rivalry between us and God, right? Um, it's, it's when we have hostility to the things of God, and it just infests all people. It starts out with Adam, and it spreads, right? And, and so all of us have it as a natural part of being born, and Paul explains that. For until the law was in the world, sin was not imputed when there is no... Uh, yeah, but sin is not imputed where there is no law, meaning God didn't count it against them. It's not like they had this big pile of sins, but they had sin because it infects us. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. Now, he says, listen, people still died. Why do people die? People die because we're all infected with sin, right? We're all fundamentally broken in our relationship to God, by nature, we all have like hostility between us and God and the things of God. It's just the way it is um, because we're fallen. The whole world is that way. So we can't actually look at each other and say, you know what, I'm not that good, but I'm better than Jimmy because Jimmy's just as sinful as I am, right? That's right, you're just as sinful as me. Congratulations. Um, so Paul, the idea here is sin... Um, Sin is not necessarily just violation of the law. Sin is a state of being. It's where God is this way and I'm facing this way. Everybody with me? Like, I'm going to rebel against him no matter what. And that's my inclination. Um, We move on. This is uh, Romans 7, 7. We're going to be in Romans 7 kind of throughout the rest of this message and probably next week's message as well. Um, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So Paul is saying, listen, the law isn't bad, right? We just can't keep it. 
And the law shows up, and the moment I know what coveting is, coveting means to want something that doesn't belong to you, right? The moment I know what coveting is, I've got something to rebel against. All people are a little like, who is that actor? Rebel Without a Cause? James Dean? Was it James Dean? I, you know, it, you know what, are you, what are you rebelling against? Well, what have you got, right? Um, all of us, all of us, by nature, you give me a rule, and on my own, I'm going to violate it. We just didn't know what the rules were until the law shows up. Um, it, it's, again, a little like me and the bicycle. I didn't know how bad I was. I didn't have anything to strive to until, until I met other guys you know, who could do it. And then I found out, man, I'm not that good. Um, we look at the law, and when we really look at the law straightforward, and we look at the intent and the design and how it works, all of us are stuck. Um, and the law specifically, all it does for us is give us something to not attain to. We can try, but we're not going to be able to do it. In fact, ultimately, if we try really, really hard and we figure, I'm going to work my way to God by being as good as possible, we're going to end up like me on the side of the road, exhausted and, you know, like thrown up and everything else, because it's going to wear us out. Um, It's going to destroy our lives. Has anybody ever done that, by the way? Tried to be as good as possible and then, like, figured out that, man, it's really tiring? And in fact, actually, you get to this point, some people can manage it forever, but instead of being as good as possible, they become hard, and they look at other people, and they they say, man, I'm better than you, right? Because I'm faster than you, because I can do this stuff, and you can't. Ultimately, that's kind of sinful too, though, right? Um, So we move on. This is 7-8. But sin, taking the opportunity through the command, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Meaning sin may kill us, it may um, ruin our lives, it may put enmity between us and God, but without the law, sin's got nothing to rebel against. Once the law shows up, like so I can look at the Ten Commandments and say, this is the standard, but there's actually hundreds and hundreds of more laws. The Ten Commandments is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, I can look at those laws, but sin in me is always going to look for a way around them, right? That's, um, I, I use Abby as an example of this, but... Brooke came by to look at the building on Monday to see how, like, if the hail had damaged the roof and, and see if we had any broken windows. And Brooke is wandering around, and Abby spends all day with me, which has got to be dull. So she sees Brooke, and she's excited, and she follows him around the entire time. And eventually, he's standing out front looking at the building and talking on his phone. And Abby goes to the door, and what does she want to do? She wants to follow him outside. And I say to her, Abigail, don't go outside. Then I start working again, and guess what she did? She went outside. So I got up. I said, Abby, what are you doing? Why are you outside? Brooke said he'd watch me. (laughs) Did you say it, Brooke? (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, I told her, I said, Abigail, if you go outside again without permission, you know, Brooke says or not, I'm saying if you go outside again, you will get a spanking. So what did she do? She stood on the step (laughs) to go outside. And I said, Abigail, get away from the step. Oh, I'm not outside. I'm just standing right here. And then like one or two steps, and I say, Abigail, I see you. And she comes back. And she starts to move out again. Why? Because as soon as there's a rule to follow, what's the first thing we do? Try to figure out a way to break it, right? 
Um, and this is the way it is because there's this sinful thing in us that says, how close can I get to the edge and still get away with it? Or how can I get away with it without getting caught? Um, it's just how we are. All people infected with sin. Um, Paul says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. Um, what Paul is talking about here, um, specifically, he's talking about before he knew what the standard was, he felt fine. Nothing changed when the law showed up. It's just that he figured out, oh, wait, I'm not doing well. And then Paul became a Pharisee, meaning he spent all his time trying to be perfect in obedience to the law, and he still couldn't do it. Um, none of us can. If your objective is to find your way to God by obeying the rules, you will fail. Everybody with me? If you want to be good enough to go to heaven, you are going to fail. Good enough would be perfect. Now, to give you an example, like me riding with those guys, I would have to have outrun them, had Lance Armstrong in his full cheating mode, and outrun him on a tricycle with flat tires and a fridge strap to my back. <laughs> like, it would have to be amazing for me to do it. And it defies our ability. We cannot reach that high. Um, and in fact, if we are thinking that we have, in all likelihood, we're blind to what's really going on. It is impossible. You cannot be good enough to earn God's favor. Because not only would you have to be perfect from now on, you would have to be perfect from now back. Right? I, Abigail started lying to me. Who taught her how to lie? I suspect her mother. <laughs> that would explain it. I, <laughs> no one taught her how to lie. She figured it out on her own, right? Um, nobody has to explain to you how to sin. You're going to find your own way there. Uh, what's the? I love that. I really. I would have it as a bumper sticker, but I, I'm sure somebody would find it offensive, right? Lead me not into temptation. I can find my own way. <laughs> The reality is that, that this is what it is. And as soon as we encounter the law, we're stuck because the law demonstrates for us that we can't do it. And this commandment, which was to result in life, meaning the commandment, the, ten, the law was there to tell us how to have a relationship with Jesus, right? It was to tell us how to have a relationship with God. It was guidelines. My wife and I, when we got married, we said vows. She said obey. She refuses to believe that she did. But she said all of these things. And guess what? She hasn't done it perfectly. Right? And I've done it even worse. Um, that standard is the ideal. But has anybody got a spouse that perfectly did the standard? Has never screwed up? Yeah, I broke it. <laughs> and I'm too afraid to contradict you. Um, <laughs> she hits hard. I'm just saying. Um, the commandment was supposed to give us guidelines for this is how you be right before God through your actions. Um, but sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. There's a parallel here, right? Um, the parallel is actually um, the snake in the garden, right? The snake tempted Eve and, and basically lied to her. Said, hey, you can be like God if you just eat from the tree, right? Ultimately, the way that sin def like, like, like lies to us, the way it deceives us is sin tells us you're okay on your own, or you can work hard enough to get there, right? You can't. 
and it's a lie. And Paul acknowledges it's a lie that he fell for. And he was deceived and he was killed by it, spiritually dead. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Um, The law is not the problem. The problem is us. Therefore, did that which was good come or become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Meaning the law doesn't kill us. The law doesn't ruin us. Sin ruins us. The law is good. We just aren't that good, right? We're just not perfect. We're just infected by sin. And if you try to reach it on your own, you're going to get tired. You're going to end up broken down on the side of the road throwing up. Indian food, which is awful. Um, Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which was good. So that which the command, or excuse me, so that through the commandment, sin would be utterly sinful. Meaning the law comes along and the law becomes a way for us to know that we're not good enough. Right? Um, The first step is admitting you have a problem. And your problem is sin. My problem is sin. Ross's problem is sin. Um, Michael's problem is sin. Larry's problem is sin. Um, All of us, our problem is sin. Um, How do we know? We look at the law. One of the most transformative times of my life, I I took a period where I read the Bible every day. I said, I'm going to read 40 pages in my Bible and read the whole thing in six weeks. And by the time I was through the law section of the Old Testament, I felt worthless. (laughs) Because I went through and I said, nope, can't do that. Nope, not doing that. Nope. Broke that one this morning. Nope. And, and it just got worse and worse and worse and worse because that's the role of the law. The law is there to tell us that we're not good enough. Does that mean we shouldn't obey it? We're going to get to that next week. Okay, so it's on the list. Don't worry, we're getting there. Um, the second big concept here, the law is not a way for us to be righteous. Instead, it's there to condemn us. It tells us that we can't reach the perfect, the perfect-like standard. Because of, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes only knowledge of sin. This is Romans 3.20. I just jumped two chapters, four chapters back. Um, the idea is there, right? Everybody clear on this? Anybody confused? The law is only there to tell you that you're not perfect. Congratulations. We're all in the same boat. Um, one to six. Now, we did the second half of this Roman section. We're going to jump back and read the first half. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? Everybody got that? God's law is there as long as you're alive. Um, For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she will be called an adulteress. If Jess and I are married... And she suddenly goes out and marries another man? That's adultery, right? Everybody with me? It would not be okay. Um, No one would blame her. But (laughs) um, so then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. So if I die and she remarries, no problem. Everybody with me? She can remarry. It's, it's fine when I die. Like, like, and, and, and if she kills me, no one would blame her. But like, like, the idea here is marriage vows last as long as we're alive. The law applies to us as long as we're alive. Once we're no longer alive, that ceases. Um, Paul goes on. 
Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Now we're going to hit pause here. Jesus, Son of God, comes, perfectly obeys the law, every little bit of it. Not just the stuff that you're supposed to do, but also the st- or not supposed to do, but also the stuff you're supposed to do. Thought, word, deed, in his heart, in his actions, in his everything, Jesus walked a perfect life and then was crucified. We killed him. He died even though people who were subject to sin or who were sinless shouldn't die, right? Because they don't have sin in them. Jesus was crucified. He died and was raised again. Um, We, if we are in Christ, if we are following Jesus, die to our old life. The old Eric is dead, right? The old Eric has died to the law. Because the old Eric is dead, the law no longer applies to me. I don't have to live my life looking at the standard and saying, man, I'm terrible. I really got to like hustle up and get better at this. I don't try to earn my way to God by being good because the part of me, the me that was subject to the law is gone, dead and buried. I'm raised again in Christ. And in Christ, the law, right? The law isn't gone, but the law no longer condemns me because I have Jesus's goodness. Like I'm forgiven. And when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus's goodness. Um, so that we might bear fruit for God. Like what we're called to do instead, instead of crushing ourselves under the law, we're called to live lives like that. I, I read an illustration like um, where this Indian fellow, this is, you know, 75 years ago, this fellow was an Indian. He was, he was attending a school on a reservation and uh, he was brought into like the denominational headquarters for this religious school and he went into the train station. There was a big sign that said, do not spit on the floor here. Everybody with me? And he looked down, and what, what was the case? People were spitting everywhere, and he spit right away. <laughs> like, he violated the rule. That night, he ate dinner at like this, this family's home that was quite wealthy, and the carpets were beautiful, and the furniture was lovely, and the food was amazing, and the dinnerware was perfect. And he looked around, and he did not see a sign that says, do not spit on the floor. Right? Guess what? Nobody had spit on the floor there because they didn't want to. Once we're in Christ, once we're forgiven, once I realize that Jesus took the weight of my sin and I'm forgiven just by having faith in Him, right? Um, I don't want to sin. I actually try to obey the law not because I have to, but because I want to. I don't look at the rules like my wife and I, I, I don't look at the rule that says don't cheat on your wife. And I avoid cheating on her because it's against the rules. I avoid cheating on her because it would destroy our marriage, right? Because I want to do right by her. There's actually nothing in our wedding vows that say I have to, like, wash the dishes. But I do it. Or that I have to get up at 2 in the morning and feed the kids. And when I actually wake up, I do it. Um, Why? Because I love my wife. I do do it once in a while, right? Um, (laughs) um, I know everybody was incredulous there, but... um, In Christ, we obey the law because we're grateful. When we fail to obey the law, we repent, not because we're terrified of God, but because we're genuinely sorry. When I lose my temper with my wife, I say sorry, not because I want her to not be mad at me, not because I want to get past it, but because I'm genuinely sorry that I hurt her feelings. Um, In Christ, the law takes a different standard. It's not obey it or else it's 
obey it because we have this, this position in relation to God where we don't have to worry about being crushed because we fail at obey, obeying the law. We're in relation to God in a way where we follow the law because we want to. And when we fall into sin, when we struggle with sin, because you're going to, we're forgiven. Um, for while we were in the flesh and sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit, not in oldness of the letter. Meaning that we serve by the Holy Spirit. We serve in great gratefulness for the forgiveness that we've received. Um, my challenge for you today, where, where we're going with all of this, the big point to all of this um, is really simple. Um, well, I'm actually out of slides. I thought I had another one. Um, is really simple. Like, like, go out of this place and recognize that if you are in Christ, you are forgiven. That the law doesn't apply to you like as a way of death. That the law applies to you as a set of guidelines for having a relationship with God. If you want to know how perfect you have to be to go to heaven, it is perfect and you can't do it. Instead, faith in Jesus is what saves us. The relationship we can have with God because he took our sins and the punishment for our sins and the old self is dead. And the new self is brought to life to obey God and to have a relationship with him and to live free from, from the tyranny that is that. Um, once a month here at, at Big Sandy Community Church of God, we, uh, um, I'm going to call my guys forward. 